You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and destroy them totally, all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys now the context for this is important in exodus 17 the people of israel have been freed from slavery in egypt and they are on the way to worship the lord at mount sinai as they travel the amalekites come out and they attack the people of israel now eventually israel will defeat the amalekites it's the one where moses has to keep his hands up and he gets tired so he puts sticks underneath but eventually they defeat the amalekites and god says this to moses uh, in exodus 17 he says then the lord said to moses write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that joshua hears it because i will completely blot out the name of amalek from under heaven So you see, when he speaks to Saul hundreds of years later, what we're seeing is this is not a hot-headed reaction to being angered by something. A bit like if you saw Rory McIlroy yesterday at the end of the golf. It's not that, okay? Nor is it an example of ethnic cleansing. No, the destruction of the Amalekites is what one commentator says, ethical cleansing. It is God punishing the sins of the Amalekites sins that they not only committed against Israel but they also committed against themselves so the Amalekites were a rough rough bunch okay if you think scousers are bad these Amalekites are well worse than that Uh, they would sacrifice their children they would commit heinous sexual acts too they would oppress and kill the weakest of them and again God has given them hundreds of years to repent but up until this point that has not happened and you see we read this with our in our 2023 20, eyes and we don't make sense of it but we've got to remember that this is a thumbnail sketch pointing to the coming judgment that will face us all you see because god will not and cannot tolerate sin the lord jesus is coming and one day he will come to judge the living and the dead we will be judged for the heinous sins that we have committed and it's only by god's mercy that we're allowed to live in this world now whilst at the same time we reject the god who made us and gives us everything we enjoy so before we turn our noses up at this section and think oh that's those primitive folk in the old testament We need to acknowledge the kindness that God is showing us today in letting us breathe and exist. See, friends, God is slow to anger. He is patient with us. He gives us grace upon grace so we can hear the gospel, we can repent of our sin, and we can live in obedience of faith. Friends, the same God who commanded the destruction of the Amalekites has determined that there is a day when all wickedness will be destroyed. Let us not take this lightly. So let's read what happens, verse 4. So Saul summoned the men, mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 from Judah. This is a huge army. 
Saul went to the city of Amalek and sent an ambush in a ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, now that's not a Barbie reference for anyone who's seen the film, okay? It's not the same Ken. This is another group, okay? It's not that guy. Go away and leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites and went to the kingdom of Ken. Another Barbie pun, sorry. Now, let's give Saul some credit where we can, okay? This is Saul showing kindness to the Kenites. Because whilst the Amalekites came up to attack Israel, in the next chapter, the next passage in Exodus, we see the Kenites are actually showing favor to the Israelites. So Saul doesn't want the Kenites getting caught up in what's about to happen. Verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me. He has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Now, if you were to go to the oncologist and they found some cancer cells, but said, oh, we're only going to take out a few, then you'd be a little bit concerned, wouldn't you? Because we want all of those cells removed so the cancer doesn't spread. You see, when God says to Saul, do not spare them, it's because he wants the sin of the Amalekites killed for good. He does not want their sin to spread anymore. But you see, the problem is Saul and the army have spared Agag and some of the best animals. Saul has not done what the Lord has asked. And now we find that God regrets making him king. Now we see these verses are here for a couple of reasons. One, it's a warning that judgment is sure and severe. But it's also a reminder that partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. You see, God's word is not one of several options that we can kind of look at and go, oh, I quite like bits of this and I don't like bits of that. No, God has given us his word and he is good and wise and sovereign and he wants us to walk in the light of his love in a world that is hostile to God and living in darkness. So it's by God's grace that he gives us this word. And remember, he is patient and merciful for those times you reject the word. But again, don't, don't um, mistake that mercy and patience for God ignoring it. Because a day is coming when God is going to judge what we've done with his word. So ECC, how are we treating God's word? Are we playing around with it? Do we pick and choose the bits that we like? Because if that's our approach to God's word, picking and choosing the bits that we like, we're not actually trusting in God's word. We're trusting in our own. Partial obedience 
is what the Bible calls disobedience. So let's move on to section two, the denial. We'll pick up a little bit here. So verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up. He went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Now that's not a great sign, is it? In Exodus 17, when the Israelites defeat the Amalekites, they set up a monument to the Lord. Now, in Saul erecting a monument to himself, it's kind of revealing a little bit about who Saul is really (laughs) trusting in. Verse 13. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle? that I hear. It's a bit like when I was a teacher. So uh, many years ago, the kids would say, can I go to the toilet? Of course, you've got to let them go to the toilet. They go to the toilet, they come back, and they just stink of smoke. Hmm. Hmm. Not quite right. Uh, Verse 15, Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. Well, that's interesting, because it tells us earlier, it was Saul and the soldiers. Anyway, the soldiers brought them. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Well, you see, what's happening here is Saul is standing in the great tradition of sinners since Adam who deny responsibility for their sin and blame others. We often, or we convince ourselves, that the blame is not ours, it's our parents. It's our circumstances, it's the system, it's church, it's the government. But I'll tell you one thing for sure, it's not me. What would Samuel say? He'd say, enough! I was practicing that all morning. For a quite good. That, was, that was the best one. Enough, Samuel would say to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, replied Saul. So here Samuel's going to remind Saul of the position God gave him. Verse 17. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king. Samuel then reminds Saul of the purpose of the mission. Verse 18. He sent you on a mission, saying, here's the purpose. Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And then Saul, verse 20, gives his pathetic excuses. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on a mission, the Lord aside. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. I even brought back Agag the king. Talk about setting yourself up. Look, you didn't do it because he said destroy him. Anyway, verse 21, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice unto the Lord your God at Gilgal. Now, Tim Chester helpfully kind of looks at Saul's denial and he looks at the excuses that Saul gives. And I wonder if any of these excuses resonate with us. So in verse 20, he's kind of saying, look what I've done. So he's saying, look, I have obeyed you. I have done good. And how often do we do that? Okay, someone comes to us with something and we'll turn around and say, yeah, but what about all those good things I've done? Or everyone else does it. I know I've done wrong, but I'm not as bad as everyone else. They're worse than me. Or 
he's making a point and it's one it's a sensible thing why don't we take all of these animals and sacrifice them to the lord okay it's a sensible thing but again we've talked about it the common sense does not trump god's word in fact it's when god's word doesn't make sense that's when we really see what what we're submitting to the word or ourselves i did it for god people gossip and then they say oh i thought you needed to know I was afraid of other people. Fear of others is no justification of sin. Again, we look at Saul and we look at his excuses and it's, it's difficult for us to be hard on him. Why? Because Saul reminds us of us. These excuses for not obeying God, they're all too familiar for us as well. Saul was living in denial. Are we guilty of doing the same too? Are you quick to look at the fault of others before looking at what you've done wrong? Are you prone to minimize the sin of yourself while maximizing the sin of others? Are we inclined to let the opinion of others determine how we relate to the word of God? Are we letting the world determine how we view sexuality, gender roles, our use of time and money, our parenting? rather than looking at the word of God? Are we in danger of trusting our feelings over the clear commands of God? Are we living in denial? Are we making excuses for our disobedience to God's word? Well, it does get a lot cheerier, folks, so we're hanging there. Let's go on to the third bit, a final bit, the danger. I say final, it's still 20 minutes, so sit in. Now, so far, we've seen Saul. We've said Saul partially obeys God, which is disobeying God. And then we've also seen how Saul makes excuses. And we don't want to be too hard on Saul because a lot of what Saul does, we do too. So we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, what's the difference between Saul and us as Christians today? Well, we got a clue early, didn't we, in verse 12? Remember verse 12? That's when Saul sets up a monument in his own honor. Again, this sets off alarm bells when we hear stuff like this. That monument is really a reflection of who, in his heart of hearts, Saul is trusting in. And what Samuel does now, he wants Saul to see what continued and intentional disobedience is really like. Picking up in verse 22. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as, in, as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now remember, God gave them the sacrificial system for the times when they would disobey his word. But Samuel's point is this, that God always wanted obedience over sacrifice. And then in verse 23, what he does is he digs in a little bit and he says, look Saul, this is, you've got to know this. If you disobey God and his word, it's like you are rebelling against God. If you disobey God and his word, 
It is like arrogance and evil of the highest order. You see, Saul's disobedience, it was a rejection of the word of God, which also meant it was a rejection of God himself. And you see, ECC, the Bible is clear. If we willfully and continually disobey God's word, if we live in denial, we're in fact rejecting the very God who gives us this word. And continued disobedience to God's word, it shows that actually we've set in our heart a monument for ourselves and not for God. And the danger for us, like it was for Saul, if we continue to reject God, then ultimately he will reject us. But here's the thing, here's the good news, here's the difference. So a clear sign that your heart is for you and not it's for you and not for God, is that when you sin, you will look to repent. Now, what is repentance? Well, hopefully this screen will tell us. So repentance is a couple of things. One is, it's a confession of sin. So it's saying sorry to God and anyone else that you've sinned against. It is a move back to God's word. Okay, God, what do you say about this? And it is a turning away from that sin and a look to change the thing that you've done wrong. That's what repentance is. So we have to ask ourselves, does Saul repent? Let's read verses 24 to 31. We're nearly there. You're doing really well. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me that I might worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turns to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and they tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Now, you probably picking it up on two occasions there, verse 24 and 30, Saul does the first thing. He confesses his sin. So we think, right, this is amazing. Is it about God's glory? Is that his motivation for repentance? Nah. It's clear from, as we read the rest of the passage, that he's more concerned with his own honor. That's what he says, doesn't he? He says, I want to receive honor. Please honor me before the elders of my people. Excuse me, what did verse 1 say about this people? Whose people were they? They were God's people, not his people. And then, look at the performance of worship. He says, I may worship the Lord, your God. Which again is showing us that he has no personal relationship with this God. So what is Saul doing? He's demonstrating worldly sorrow rather than biblical repentance. Now, we'll look at that a bit more in our growth groups this week. Let's see the conclusion of the passage, verse 32. 
Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came into him with chains. He thought, Surely the bitterness of death has passed. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so you, will your mother be childless among women. Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibar of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though, Saul, though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he'd made Saul king over Israel. So what do we see? We see the prophet of God in the place of the failed king carrying out the commands of God. Now you're still thinking, okay, Chris, that was, that was long, you've gone through it, uh, it kind of made sense, but mostly didn't. You still haven't answered the question about whether God regrets or not. Okay, so it does seem like a contradiction, doesn't it? But as we've been reading 1 Samuel, we know that this skilled writer, he doesn't tend to make mistakes or just randomly put things in for no reason. So what's going on? Well, firstly, we've got to say this. God is true to his character. Here's one of those bigger words that we're going to learn for today. God is immutable, immutable. That means that God is unchanging. And we see this in verse 29. We read that God does not change his mind and that God is always true to his word. He does not lie. Now, friends, that is amazing news for us today. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I have moods throughout the day. I can be a bit up, a bit down, you know, you never know what you're going to be in the morning or in the evening. But that's not what God is like. God is immutable. He is always the same. He is unchanging. That means the gracious God is always gracious. The holy God is always holy. The just God is always just. The loving God is always loving. The faithful God is always faithful. What you know about God today is going to be true tomorrow as well. So he is a rock we can depend on and lean on because he's unchanging. Yet, in verse 11 and in verse 35, we are told that God regrets making Saul king. So how can he do this if he is the God who never changes his mind? It appears to be a contradiction in the Bible. Well, the key is this. Whilst God is immutable, unchanging, God is not indifferent to sin. What I'm trying to say is God feels emotions. And we know this to be true when we think about the Lord Jesus. When he was faced with Lazarus's death, what does he do? The Lord wept. When Jesus goes into the temple and sees they turned it into a marketplace... We're told that he gets angry. Elsewhere in the scripture, we're told that the Holy Spirit grieves over our sin. So this is in line with what we know about the rest of the Bible. God is not indifferent to sin. And as we've seen in this chapter, there's plenty of things Saul does that would make God feel regret or sorrow. So the way I think of it, if, you, if you're a parent, sometimes you feel regret or sorrow about your child's actions. And in this case, we've got the disobedience, we've got the denial, we've got the lack of repentance. These are all things that bring regret or sorrow to God. 
And again, in our growth groups this week, you can ask questions. Uh, hopefully, there's a bit more detail to dig into there. But let me finish with this because you're still, I know you're, you're like, okay, you've talked about the regret, but you said, Chris, what we learn today is going to help us face the world. So I want to keep you to that. So here we go. Okay. Now, this might not surprise you, but I'm not a fan of change. I don't like change. I don't know if you like change. I don't like it. I like things that stay the same. I don't like change in the world. I don't like change in church. I don't like change in my family. Now, I know things can change can bring good things, but I'd much rather things stay the same. To me, change brings unpredictability, change brings uncertainty, and at times, change can be really overwhelming. Why is this helpful? Well, it's helpful because knowing God is immutable is good news. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's immutability makes change easier. So whatever change you're experiencing or whatever change is upcoming, you know that God is the same and that is tremendously reassuring. Because whatever happens tomorrow, I know that God's love for me in Christ is not going to change. I know as a Christian, when I wake up tomorrow, Lord willing, uh, or not, it doesn't matter, live as Christ, die as gain, um, and then digressing. But if I wake up tomorrow, I will know that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. I know tomorrow that God is gracious and kind and loving and good and wise and sovereign and powerful. None of that's going to change. I know because of Jesus' death and resurrection, my past, my present, my future sins are all forgiven. I know that God, by his Spirit, is changing me each day to be more like Christ. And I know that God is taking me to my home in heaven. Whatever changes are coming, God's immutability is good news for us all. So ECC, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we obey his word, we'll be people who can face any change that come our way. We can face life with Jesus. And this is something we will never regret let me pray father god it's been a long passage and there's lots of challenging things in take away anything that's unhelpful anything that's not from you may people go away knowing about your mutability and why it is good news for their lives now and forever and i pray this in jesus name amen You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.